When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. Welcome to another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report, broadcast live from sunny Santa Monica, California, here in the heart of Silicon Beach. Please be seated. We got another great show for you today. Um, we were going to have an exclusive with El Chapo, but Sean Penn screwed that up and he got arrested over the weekend. But we have a very close second. We have a returning guest, Leo Arnetta. You may remember he spoke to us about two years ago and his victory over Dan Balsam in a spam case. And But now he's actually here on Fresh after another important victory um, to talk about a copyright infringement case and involving the use of CSS. And we're going to get a little bit into that. Lior is with the firm Newman DeWars. They are internet law firm, intellectual property firm based in um, Seattle and in Santa Monica. Uh, what Lior works in their um, San Francisco office. And you may recall when he joined us last time, he was actually he was with Newman DeWars, but also still with Golden Gate University as a law professor. Um, and so now he joins us today from San Francisco. Lee, are you here? I am, Bennett. Thank you so much for having me on the show again. It's great to talk to you. Thank you. And are you still teaching, by the way? I'm not teaching any longer at Golden Gate. Still have lots of great friends and contacts over there, but no, I'm doing this full time now. You know, one thing it's it's interesting that I, I, I like. I don't know if it's unique, but it, it is definitely um, one of the nice things about practicing in internet law is um, there's a, a kind of a, a sense of colleagueship among the community. And for example, Lior and, and Lior's firm, um, we have worked on the same side of cases, on opposite side of cases. Um, I, I just spoke to one of your partners yesterday. Um, I've said on another lawsuit. But um, there's, there's great respect and camaraderie within the community, and um, so it, 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 you know, Leo and, Leo and I have had many discussions on a lot of topics, both relating to our, our work and not. So, for those who consider this field, I definitely um, say that is one of the strengths I think of working in this space. And Leo, thank you for the courtesy you've shown me over the years. But that's ending now. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. Now we get. Now I got to put my Mike Wallace. Hat on. No, so 
you've been working with the Newman Dwarves and they they have an interesting practice because on one hand they're representing a lot of the you know the marketers in in the space and which is more of a defense practice you know in terms of dealing with people like Dan Balsam but you guys also have a plaintiff's practice in, in IP and in patent infringement and copyright infringement and which brings us to the, the current case we're talking about which you just won for media net advertising why don't you tell us a little bit about that Right. So um, I represented MediaNet Advertising in a lawsuit against uh, one of its competitors, a company called Netsphere that's based here in uh, uh, Central California, in Silicon Valley. And um, MediaNet is, uh, for some background, is the leading um, uh, uh, provider of contextual ad services in the world. They help operate the Yahoo Bing contextual ad network. They work on the publisher side of that network. And uh, because they're sort of a leading entity in the field, they get copied all the time, or people, in other words, try to copy uh, what they do. And they came in many years ago into this field and basically created a market where none existed and spent a lot of time and energy investing in that, losing money over many years. Now, as I said, other com- companies and competitors come in and try to copy what they do. That's fine. We understand that people will look up to us, and <laughs> copying is the highest form of flattery. But what happened here in the Netsphere case was particularly egregious because what Netsphere did was Netsphere didn't just copy the look and feel of its pages and what it was producing in order to, to generate a high degree of revenue. What it was doing was it was copying the code underlying that page. And the problem with that, Bennett, is that in essence what they did is they stole the iterative process that uh, MediaNet had engaged in for many, many, many years to tweak and, uh, and, and change that page ever so slightly over time in order to get the highest amount of revenue they could generate from it. And so you, you, that led to you bringing a, a copyright action. Now, from reading the decision that came down yesterday, it seems at one point your theory of infringement wasn't necessarily as much on based on this, a CSS um, code, but more on they they were stealing the look and feel. Right, and um, that 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 can be a complicated that can be a complicated issue for the courts. And I think there was some confusion at some point on 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 from their perspective as to what we were actually arguing. I blame really in that instance Pillsbury Winthrop, who was the firm, the very large firm that was hired by Netsphere to defend them in this lawsuit for confusing the issue. But at the outset, I'll tell you, Bennett, we never argued that we were asserting a copyright in anything other than the HTML. In fact, when we registered the code, we registered it exactly as an HTML work, which means if you register it as a literary work, not a computer program or source mm-hmm. code, which means you have to present all of the code in a single package. Normally, when you file an application in copyright and source code or computer program, you can provide portions of it or black out certain pieces of it. You're not allowed to do that with HTML. Okay. So we knew from the outset, even well, well before we filed this case, that we we were seeking to protect the HTML itself and really nothing else. Um, they confused the issue, but I'm glad to see that at the end of the day, I think the oral argument helped a lot. The judge was able to understand, okay, we're not just talking about look and feel. What we're talking about is this code that MediaNet put a lot of time and energy in producing and that uh, they have a right to protect. And and so let's let's back up with some basics. Um, 
Sure. Let's talk about... I think it might be helpful for me to tell you about what are some of the various layers of content exactly. that exist online. So there are three, and, and, and they're not often discussed. The first one is the one which people are most often familiar. That's copyright. That's a copyright in the website content. So if you have a website, Ben, as I'm sure you do, and I've seen it, and it's beautiful. Thank you. You <laughs> write unique content for that page, and you can get a copyright in that content. You have interesting images on your page. You can get a copyright in that. You have interesting sound recordings, video recordings, whatever you want to put on your page, you can get a copyright in that. And the test is, is it perceptible? Is it unique? Right. right? That's the first layer. There are two others. You can also create a page that includes a host of non-copyrightable content, either because it's in the public domain or it's owned by somebody else, but maybe you compiled it in a unique way, okay? And that's called compilation authorship. That's the second layer okay. of copyright. The third one and last one is a copyright in the HTML, the hypertext markup language. As you, as you probably know, I mean, HTML establishes the format and layout of text and graphics on a page, um, but it's not perceptible to the user at all. I mean, unless you actually click on the source, but right. from the copyright office's perspective, it's not perceptible. Uh, you can also obtain a copyright in that. And the copyright office says, we know that HTML just establishes the format and layout of text and graphics on a page, but you can get a copyright in it if it has sufficient unique creative expression. And what are examples where it, or do you, can you tell us about examples where it has been found to be sufficiently unique and, and maybe where it hasn't? You know, what, right. what, what puts you over that line? That's, uh, that's an excellent point and one we talked about quite a bit with Judge Chen. So the Copyright Office also says that CSS or actually I want to be clear about what it says. <laughs> the Copyright Office says <laughs> claim based solely on CSS is generally not uh, available. So what, and what does CSS do? CSS is similar, but it's different. It's used to format and lay out the organization and presentation of things on a page as well, but it's, it, can be, it can be more generic because CSS includes, by and large, or, I mean, if you, if you use a web development um, tool to create a page, oftentimes the CSS that you'll get through the web that will be machine generated is, is very generic. It can mm -hmm. refer to headers like H1, H2, H3. It can have certain um, units of measure for color, height, width, pixel size, etc. Okay. All that stuff is, is generally considered CSS. It is CSS. But it's not copyrightable because if we were to copyright that, right, Bennett, we would be essentially preventing somebody from creating something in a similar uh, format. Right. You'd be, in essence, foreclosing the use of that format by anybody else, and copyright's not for that purpose. CSS can also include lots of other things that can constitute creative expression. And this includes unique classes, like instead of using height, width, or, um, or color, mm -hmm. they can use uh, unique classes that uh, can be whatever you want them to be. You can name them whatever you'd like. You can also include comments in CSS that communicate what the um, uh, something about the developer's intentions or thinking, and those can all be creative. So one of the things that was kind of interesting that we did at oral argument, uh, Bennett, is that we presented the code that was copywritten, right, and then we replaced all the unique classes with names of famous composers, and it created the same page, created the same exact page, and then we replaced all the unique classes with lines of text from Judge Chen's. Wikipedia page. So it actually read like his Wikipedia page. And it still generated the same page. Interesting. 
to demonstrate that I could be very creative. I could have created a page that generates the same result and it, and it reads like slaughterhouse five. The point is that code. We can debate whether that's good. (laughs) Right. It it has all these unique classes and format, which communicate the iterative process through which the the developer engaged him to develop this page that communicate to some extent, the R and D behind it. And there's some real value in people actually considering the protection in HTML. And there's some real value in making sure that it can be asserted in court. And, um, how how difficult was that explaining that to you know granted you're in the northern district so you know the judges there are somewhat more receptive and more technologically astute than maybe they would be in some you know more remote area but how receptive was judge chen in in terms of grasping this well, Judge Chen, I, I really like. I, uh, he's not been on the bench too, 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 too long. Uh, but, you know, as you're right, the Northern District has a reputation for people who, uh, I don't know if it's largely driven by Judge Alsup, who famously taught himself code to um, to, to reach an opinion in, in the case. Um, but uh, Judge Chen was really great and receptive. He asked for a, a presentation from both parties. Uh, we used Dreamweaver to present... Uh, to make a presentation to him, essentially teach the judge about HTML, CSS. So I had to teach myself Dreamweaver and teach myself probably more about HTML and CSS than than some novice developers have today. And uh, and the judge was 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 really receptive to that. He really wanted. I appreciate the judge really wanted to get into the minutia and learn about the process. Um, but I think the most I think by and, by and large the most effective thing that we did that would probably communicate and would be usable in other courts is how we demonstrated to the court that the code could be written in five different ways, in ways that are clearly unique and still reach the same result, which underscores the importance of extending copyright to HTML. That includes CSS. Um, this was this was not a, a case that uh, was a foregone conclusion by any means. I mean, the court could have very easily said, you're going to get a copyright in only the HTML portion right. of your code base that you presented, not any of the CSS. But instead, we were able to convince the court the CSS has enough unique classes and enough uh, class names and enough uh, unique comments, all of which are interspersed between the HTML and the CSS, right? Because it was human-generated, right. and, it, and it, you could see it was tweaked over time, that they're so inextricably linked, the HTML and the CSS, that you have to extend copyright to the HD, to the CSS in this instance. I don't, I don't know of an, another case in which a court has ever held that CSS was copyrighted. Is it fair to, to analyze, analogize CSS to like the, the footnotes in a document? Not really. I mean, CSS is really just essentially style. Uh, for example, if, I don't know if you have Westlaw, but if you go on the Westlaw uh, uh, page, there's a login screen, and you enter in your name. Right. If you actually look at the source code for that, the source code for it is all HTML, and okay. it has a web link where you can click on it to take it to its CSS. And Westlaw, what it does is it keeps its CSS on a separate page, not on any of its HTML pages, because it wants the same CSS to apply the same style, in other words, to apply to all of their pages right. and be uniform. So it looks the same way. Every page you visit looks the same. Um, interestingly enough, if you go to Westlaw's standalone CSS page, there's a big copyright notice right at the top. 
<laughs> even though even though that page is entirely CSS. But it probably also has unique classes and and comments. But this is just by way of saying that just because uh, you know a, a company has created and invested time and energy in creating something that is largely CSS, they shouldn't necessarily. Um, per, you know, conclude right that that page isn't subject to copyright protection. No, it, it might be. No, and and when this was, this is a, a registered copyright. You you are suing under the Copyright Act for a, a, a copyright that has been registered, right? That's right. And when this registration was made, was there a were you was it consciously done with the idea that we're we're kind of pushing this a little forward? No, I don't think that was the issue at all. What was the issue, I think, that it was um, we discovered the copying. And, uh, you know, as you know, you need a valid registration in order to uh, file a lawsuit. Right. So so, so we did it to, to pursue the lawsuit, but we didn't do it to advance the law or um, um, to, 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 to try to... Uh, you, you know, create new law that would that would create an avenue for for copywriting CSS in the future. It was really designed to ensure that this sort of egregious copying could be stopped. Um, yeah. And uh, on that point, so what happened in the ruling, which is now what <laughs> eight twenty hours old? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, Judge Chen's ruling yesterday. Um, is a denial of um, Netseer's motion for summary judgment. They were trying to have your case basically decided and kicked out because there wasn't a copyrightable interest at, at issue here. Um, and the, the, the motion was denied. So um, is the next step, do you have a counter motion or are you going to trial? Well, let's see. One of this case filed is filed years and almost a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was almost a year and a half ago that we filed this case. And in that time, Bennett, we've been completely um, precluded from taking almost any discovery. I mean, we got one spreadsheet um, that indicated some revenue figures, but um, we intend to, so we have a first set of discovery that we're hoping to have them provide substantive responses to at this point. We would like to take some depositions. Um, yeah, and, we'll, and we're curious to know a little bit more about how the copying took place. But up until this point, Bennett, we've not been able to take any discovery on the copying, uh, how they obtained the information that they obtained, why they obtained it, you know, to which customers they employed it, and for how long uh, and why. So there's a lot of questions we still need to resolve. Okay, so there's more discovery, and obviously this ruling also will affect settlement postures, I imagine. Right. I mean, it's really hard to see what that settlement posture is just yet, because as I said, we haven't been able to take any discovery. The only discovery we've been able to take, really, is about um, what what was registered, really, because... uh, the judge was convinced that we should only allow discovery with respect to resolving this one particular issue. Okay. Uh, but now that it's resolved, I think it's pretty obvious that they've infringed. We just need to get some discovery on that issue. And, and are there any other claims besides the infringement? There are a few other claims. There's a claim under the UCL uh, for unfair competition. Uh, there's a claim for tortious interference because they, they, they use the code to interfere with some of our client relationships. Um, 
those claims are also to some extent addressed by the judge um, uh, in his order yesterday, and uh, he's given some uh, some insight into some of those and what we can do to enhance them and improve them. Um, but I think the uh, the focus in this case has always been the infringement issue, right. because MediaNet cared most about the fact that they had invested all this time and energy in creating this code. Uh, and wanted to protect it. I mean, I, I just came back from the Affiliate Summit West in which I had conversations with a number of clients talking about their online tools, their sales funnels, right? right. Anything that they provide online that provides product revenue uh, and service revenue. And um, it, it, it's striking to me how how much this issue doesn't really get addressed. If you have something that you're doing online, and even if you feel like it's just uh, you're benefiting it prim- from from it primarily because of the layout or the look and feel of the page, you should still consider getting a copyright in the code because I know my clients, I'm sure you do as well, Bennett, our clients invest a lot of time and energy on those iterative tweaks over time. Maybe they'll right. try out different versions of a phrase, 10 different versions, they'll test them all, they'll go with the high, the one that generates the most revenue, they'll do this over time. And unless you're protecting the code, if you're and if your page is you know primarily just look and feel, it's not copyrightable, that's perceptible. If you're not if you're not registering the code, you're probably doing yourself a disservice. All right, well, we're going to take a short break. We come back. We're going to talk more about the decision and what does it mean going forward. Um, we'll be back with um, Leo Arnetto. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report only on Webmaster Radio FM. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics. You've seen other SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Johnson, what's this mantis I keep hearing about? Do we need to call an exterminator? No, sir. Moby Mantis is our new SMS marketing tool. SM what? SMS. Text messaging. Moby Mantis lets us communicate directly with our customers in real time. We can send promos, coupons. It even lets our customers market for us by sharing offers with their friends online. It's been great for business. Hmm. Sounds expensive. Actually, I sign us up for an extended free trial. It hasn't cost us a dime. Good work, Johnson. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix... So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contests and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. 
And we're back and we're talking to Leo Arnetta about his recent victory in uh, a copyright case in the Northern District of California with Judge Chen. Um, for those of you keeping score at home, it's MediaNet Advertising um, versus NetSeer. And we have a copy of the um, opinion and background on Lior um, on our blog. As always, um, you can go to cyberlawradio.wordpress.com and see the information. And also, you can follow us on Twitter at cyberlawradio. So, Lior, now that this is decision has come down and it is somewhat of a first to really address this. Um, there's going to be, I see two reactions that you're going to start seeing in the, the legal blogosphere. Um, one is from, I think, copyright minimalists and um, who believe that we've, we've somehow have expanded copyright beyond its original purpose, which you know, some have articulated as to promote the progress of science in the useful arts and knowledge. Um, rather than to promote exclusivity and monopolies. Yeah, I, 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 I imagine, Ben, we're going to get some of that of a response. But what I would say to you is that I think this decision is perfectly in keeping with the intention of copyright. Copyright's designed to protect uh, unique creative expression. And companies spend an inordinate amount of time and energy creating the code base for their online uh, products. Um, you know this as well as I do. It can it can cause it can cost years of research and development, lost money, and by not protecting the code uh, that underlies these pages, you're essentially allowing competitors to just piggyback off of each other and mm-hmm. avoid and avoid all of that 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 time and energy. And and that to some extent underscores what we were talking about with respect to our unfair competition claim. It's simply unfair to allow companies to do that. And what we're asking and what we've been, what we've asked for and what we've obtained from this court is not something that's 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 well outside the scope of, of, of the compendium effect that's entirely in keeping with the copyright office's guidelines. The notion that HTML can be copyrighted as a, as a literary work, and again, that doesn't mean that it has to be a uh, a work of literature. <laughs> right, it doesn't have to be dated. Right, it's a, that is, that in itself is a term of art. Uh, the, the, none of the, none of this is none of this is is controversial in that sense at all. All the court is saying is this was HTML. This is HTML. Um, it has unique um, uh, elements in it. Uh, plenty of things that indicate the thoughts and and uh, and intentions of the author. All of that is copyrightable, and because it's infused within both the HTML and the CSS, all, both of which, both of them are copyrightable. Again, the copyright office, and, and, and nor with this court or any court, I think, really prevent a competitor from creating a site that that looks similar, that uh, that functions similarly. They're not going to stop them from doing that. What they are going to stop them from doing is copying. Right. In you, order you to can avoid the RD. And, and so just kind of summarize what the, your battle so far is. The court gave you pushback on the idea that a look and feel of a website can, is, is enough to trigger copyright liability. But if you flat out just steal the code, that's different. 
That's exactly, exactly. And, and, and Pillsbury tried to make, and that's here, tried to make this argument that, um, that what we were really just talking about in this case is look and feel. Uh, but if that was the case, we would have tried to obtain a registration in the website content, the way it looks and feels on the page. Right. Of course, we didn't do that because we know a lot about copyright. We know that the U.S. Copyright Office doesn't allow such copyrights. What they do allow is to get the copyright in the code, which is the iterative process that you spend a lot of time and money, money creating and tweaking. And it's creative expression in that sense. And uh, you know, if somebody wants to try to copycat what you're doing, Right, by just looking at what you're doing and trying to uh, trying to reverse engineer it or do something that's similar, they're not going to come up with the exact same thing. Um, but it's fine; they're going to try. But by stealing the code, that is a bridge too far. Right. I mean, that's not fair competition. I mean, it's- I think that was underscoring our unfair competition claim as well. Um, I, I yeah, I just think it's I, I think it's it's soundly unfair. Again. You know, Apple can come out with an iPhone, and other people can try, and Samsung can try to create a phone that's much like it. No one is saying that Samsung, uh, you know, can't, uh, you know, try to create a phone that 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 operates like an Apple, that looks like an Apple, that is, that that that's just as uh, successful as an Apple. In fact, it, it it sells quite well, right? What they are saying is that if you know Apple had a code base regarding what they were doing on 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 their iPhone, Samsung can't go and steal that. So use that to create their product. So we we talked a little bit offline, and one of the reactions I have to the the decision, and you know, I have only had just a little bit of time to digest it. Um, having worked in house at companies and talked to developers about their process, and particularly you know having gone through some litigation over that process. There's this thing known as tools of the trade that developers design things using certain styles, certain language that they they take with them, and that there's a commonality. You know, certain websites will always have a certain percentage of commonality if developed by the same developer because of what they consider as tools of the trade, And, and so the concern. I have, you know, is the presence of that with the protection for CSS in HTML as an expression um, to the extent that tools of the trade would be sufficient to trigger liability. Um, I I, I see that as a, a potential huge issue for the industry. Right. Well, you know, up until now, there's never been, I mean, again, it's, it's never been controversial that HTML is copyrightable. Correct. That's not what was, I think, that was controversial about this case. And there's plenty of tools of, tools of the trade that go into creating and developing HTML and using HTML to, in web development, right? And, uh, there's nothing, there was no issue there. That's, but specific tools, like you, 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 specific standalone tools of the trade probably aren't going to be affected by this decision at all because, again, to get a copyright in HTML, you need to get a copyright in the entire code base from top to bottom. Okay. Right? And 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 if somebody copies a specific tool or or, does, or, or, or uses that particular uh, iteration of language in a way, uh, in, in a, that that's probably not going to constitute infringement. It has to be something a little bit more significant in copying in, in that respect. And again, all of this is not controversial. HTML has been copyrightable for a very very long time. The Copyright Office has always said that. The question is. 
whether or not an HTML code base that includes a significant amount of CSS, but which also includes unique classes and comments that are embedded both within the HTML and the CSS and, and, and reference each other. Does that mean that that the entire that entire page now can be can be copywritten? It it it, it clarifies an important line, but I don't think it threatens anything in that that anything new in that respect because HTML has always been copyrightable. There's never been a question right. about that. Now, it, granted, the decisions you know, less than 24 hours old, and and granted, the the copyright case that people seem to be talking about this month is the. Um, the monkey selfie, um, <laughs> but you win some, you lose some, you know. <laughs> uh, but it, what, if any, reaction has there been, you know, in, in, from the media, or have you know, in terms of have you been getting any questions? You know, wh- wh- where are people seeing this going, and from what you, you've encountered so far? Well, I think. Um uh, there, there, there was some press certainly at the uh, oral argument uh, on this decision, and I, I, I've spoken to a couple of reporters about about this case and uh, its impact. Um, I think, generally speaking, people who uh, work in the field have some trepidation, necessarily, about um, you know uh, CSS being copyrightable. Uh, others are thrilled about the notion, but the, to the extent those uh, there are there are particular individuals or constituencies that are expressing some concern about uh, CSS being copyrightable in certain instances, I think that that trepidation just comes from a change in the landscape. And, oh, here's something new that I need right. to be aware of and be cognizant of. So, I don't think it necessarily threatens anybody's uh, worldview or, or, or business model. So to the um, extent that you encountered, uh, for lack of a better term, a sky is falling, you know, um, trepidation <laughs> by any of the reporters you, you talked to, you know, what, what... And it hasn't the, been that extreme. I wouldn't call it sky is falling. Okay, yeah, but, yeah, you know, just, um, to the extent that you, you got some pushback or some concern, what, you know, what was the concern? What, where, where do they see this going that was so troubling? Well, I think because now there's an extra layer of things that the you know you can be companies need to be mindful about right. registering and, and, and protecting, and maybe that there is some concern about the fact that if um, uh, uh, that uh, you know I I uh, need to be aware of taking an extra step with respect to my protection of my online IP. I think also there might be some concern, perhaps from some developers who have been thinking that maybe for some time. Well, yeah, I I can just copy a competitor's uh, HTML and, and and do that, and this is just a further reminder that no HTML is copyrightable. It's always been copyrightable, and it's copyrightable even if it includes lots of elements that you might ordinarily think aren't copyrightable. You just have to be very very careful about that. So uh, copy- so is that? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it again. Some people say to me, "Well, it didn't have a copyright notice on it, so uh, I didn't understand it to be copyrightable." Again, that's not the that's that's not the standard. Yes, <laughs> uh, you just have to be aware of you know when you're copying something online, be very careful about that. Don't assume just because it's formatting or something, it's it's fine to take because it could just be infused with the HTML in an important way, and have unique classes. And comments that again, if you copy, you're going to be you're going to be held liable. Important comments for those of you infringing at home. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it, maybe the value of the case really is that 
in the it's express it's expressing the issue in a new format. It just causes all those involved to revisit the issue. It ca- it's a reminder, you know, if you're managing people in this space to to talk to them and see, hey, do we have good practices in place to make sure we're not infringing? You know, and you know, as well as you know, do we have practices in place to protect what we're doing? And, and so that in itself is is a useful discussion to have across the board. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's important. You know, if, if I would be thrilled if this decision we use used as an opportunity for companies to have discussions with their developers about what they're doing online. You know, the first story that we received from Netsphere in this case was that this was some sort of rogue engineer who was said, who was told, this is, uh, look at MediaNet's page. Uh, we want to create something that's like that. And the rogue engineer, without direction from the people at the Apex, decided, oh, well, if you want something just like that, I'll just copy their source code. Right. Um, <laughs> turns out that's not what apparently happened. What apparently happened, there was a vice president who, who actually uh, made that change or directed that change. So it's not as if there was a rogue engineer. But let's be honest, Bennett, I mean, I, I, I find it uh, – perfectly believable that there are companies that probably give similar directions to engineers and I think would it would behoove them to have conversations with their engineers and, and discuss with them the fact that simply copying code isn't uh, isn't is a development really? It's 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 copying. You know, if you right. if you're going to be a developer, you're going to develop a page. You should develop. You should develop it. Uh, my uh, and if you're given templates and things to look at, look at them. That's great, but don't copy it. Yeah, my suspicion is there's less direct and less direct instruction to copy, more indirect. Well, just make it happen and don't tell me about it. Uh, that, that's my that's my hunch. And, uh, well, you know, I suspect that this case will underscore the unavailability of the plausible deniability defense. Um, <laughs> but, but we'll we'll have to see once once we take some discovery, Bennett. So, um, in in terms of the next steps, you, you you're under discovery. And but do you, do you even have a trial date? We don't have a trial date. Um, actually, we may have just set one. May have just set one. I'm sorry, I want to, don't want to speak. I think we may have just set one at the hearing on the motion for uh, summary judgment. Uh, but it's not for a while. I don't think it's until next year. Is this an issue they can appeal now? Well, it's a motion for summary judgment, but it was denied. So it's so my it's understanding. Not a final not. order. Right, so it's not final order. I mean, they could seek an interlocutory uh, appeal of some kind, but I, I, I suspect they won't get anywhere. And I uh, believe that Judge Chen uh, wrote his opinion so expertly um, in terms of uh, citation to you know binding Ninth Circuit authority that um, you know with even considering all these other obstacles of getting an interlocutory appeal, they're they're not going to get this issue. So how, how long did you wait for, or when was this case argued? This case was heard back in December. We had a slightly longer uh, briefing schedule because of the complex issues, and we had to depose their expert, um, Netsier and Pillsbury Winthrop's expert. Um, uh, we had an expert as well, though they chose not to depose him. And um, yeah, so so we uh, we got a, we got an opinion in um, I'd say about six weeks. So that's that's not that bad. That's Five pretty good. Back. No, definitely, that's very responsive. So what, yeah, a thirty a thirty page order in five weeks, and it's 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 very dense as you can see on in terms of HTML and CSS. So yeah, that's respectable. 
So when you were at Affiliate Summit West, what was, was, was there much discussion of this or was it just more the general um, topics? I'm sorry, much discussion of... You said it were, of this, this issue, the copyright, copyright issue. Uh, at, at, the, at the hearing? No, affiliate, you said you just came back from Affiliate Summit West. Oh, and had some discussion about this case at Affiliate Summit? Yeah, you, you mentioned that you were talking to people there. Right, I, I was. I, I, have a, I have clients who come up to me, clients, prospective clients who come up to me all the time and talk to me about their online uh, products, uh, services. Uh, sometimes they're sales funnels, sometimes they're search engine results pages. Whatever they're doing, they're doing it online and it's generating revenue and they've invested a lot of time and energy in creating that. And uh, I talk to them all the time about protecting their content. And this is just another uh, tool for doing that. And sometimes, you, you know, the copyright interest is, is fairly straightforward. You produce creative and somebody out, out there is copying your creative and putting it on their website. That's a pretty straightforward copyright claim. That's not going to involve HTML at all. Uh, but if there's some sort of tool that you're providing, maybe it's a sales card, maybe it's a sales funnel, whatever it is, and uh, maybe the format and the way you've laid it out on the page isn't copyrightable, but you know that that helps generate revenue. You know that the way that you've done that, done that, increases revenue by a certain margin. And you want to protect it. HTML sounds like it might be the way to go. And not to be concerned about the fact that CSS is included in your HTML. Um, you can protect that too if you infuse both with uh, sufficient unique classes and comments and things. Well, that sounds great. Um, we're going to take a, a short break, and when we come back, um, we're going to let you tell people where they can find more information about you, and, um, and we'll send people on their merry way after these messages. You're listening to Cyberlawn Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report at this brief recess for our sponsors. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Is buying something that is made in the USA important to you? How do you know that it really is made in the USA? Certified Inc. is the only supply chain audit company on the planet which qualifies country of origin labeling. If it's important to you as a consumer to know where the products you buy and use in your own home come from, then it's also important for your customers. Visit us at madeinusa.net and find out more. Go to madeinusa.net because it's that important. Reinventing keyword research, simplifying campaign optimization, redefining competitive analysis. SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com That's S-P-Y-F-U.com and start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. 
TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs sends you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Celebrating the best in online advertising, the Web Marketing Association presents the 14th Annual Internet Advertising Competition Awards. Submit your banner ads, email ads, rich media, online newsletters, websites, and social media campaigns now by going to iacaward.org. Deadline for entries is February 15th, 2016. All winners will have their entry highlighted on the Internet Advertising Competition website, as well as receive a handsome trophy to display or a personalized certificate of achievement. Be honored among your online advertising peers by submitting your entry into the Web Marketing Association's 14th Annual Internet Advertising Competition Awards. Submit your entry today at IACAward.org. That's IACAward.org. Is buying something that is made in the USA important to you? How do you know that it really is made in the USA? Certified Inc. is the only supply chain audit company on the planet which qualifies country of origin labeling. If it's important to you as a consumer to know where the products you buy and use in your own home come from, then it's also important for your customers. Visit us at madeinusa.net and find out more. Go to madeinusa.net because it's that important. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back and we're talking to Leor Netter about his um, copyright win yesterday in federal court on behalf of Newman DeWars. And Leor, I have to ask you one question because your your Twitter account says you're, uh, I believe, a phonophile. Uh, What was your reaction to the death of David Bowie? Uh, well, I was in Las Vegas when I heard the news, and uh, I'll confess, Bennett, I, I think it was pretty late at night, and I happened to be singing karaoke, actually, at, the, at that time. And there was somebody who'd come up just five minutes earlier, Bennett, I'm not even joking, he, he sung uh, Let's Dance, and the whole place was, was going crazy. I don't think anybody at that point even knew it was, uh, yeah, I was, I was, uh, it, it was a tragic, uh, tragic news. I was really upset about it. You know, there are people, the word icons used so often, and but very few people meet it, but I think David Bowie was. I mean, he transcended music, film, um, culture, and uh, he definitely was an original who'd be missed. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. He had a huge impact, I think, on, on, on me growing up, and I've uh, always been a fan. I'll, I'll never forget the time that I, I saw him live in concert. He was, uh, he was incredible, yeah. Uh, that would have been fun. My wife was a big fan. She's seen him a bunch of times. The, um, the, the, in the song Changes, there's that telling line, look out all you rock and rollers, one of these days you're going to grow older. And, and, and sadly, I think you know, we're, we're getting to that point. You know, I think David Bowie's kind of um, the, the preview of what we're going to be going through over the next decade as other legends, you know, whether it's, um, well, Keith Richards will live to be 130, but. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> and Bob else. Dylan and uh, and what's the, what was the classic joke from that movie, Almost Famous, where, they, where, the, where the manager said, if you think that Mick Jagger's still going to be boogie on the stage at 65, you're sorely mistaken, right? Well. <laughs> You know, they they sometimes they sometimes exceed expectations. They That's do. What's they great do. About them. Modern medicine has its miracles. So I want to thank you for joining it. But if, um, if people want to learn more about your practice and Newman Doors, where should they go? Well, uh, you can find me uh, specifically on our website at www.newmanlaw.com. N e w m a n law.com and my email address is leor at, at, at newmanlaw.com and leor is my name spelled l-e-e-o-r um i do a lot of intellectual property work and internet-based uh law i counsel clients on this all the time i really love working with clients to help them um obtain the results that they're looking for i was meeting with a client yesterday and he said this about me which i really appreciate because i think it's my motto uh, he said, I really like working with you, Lior, because when, when we work together, I feel like you tell me how I can do something I want to do instead of tell me, no, you can't do that. <laughs> That's a big challenge and, for a lawyer, be, you know, transitioning from Dr. No to Dr. Solve it. Um, right, right. It, that's very important. I but, agree. So that's that's something that I really try to uh, that that's that's a big motto that I have for my practice. I try to I try to facilitate uh, facilitate what my clients want to do. I try to help them get that done. I don't like to sit there and shake my finger at them like some sort of school marm. And that's that's one of the reasons why I think my clients work with me and keep working with me over the years. You no, know, I've enjoyed working. With you. I actually enjoy working with your firm. I've given them a great shout out. First of all, you, you know, one of their partners is a former radio DJ, so you. You gotta give, you gotta, <laughs> gotta give some uh, credit there. But um, we we even share clients. Um, you know, you're doing a do. pat, you're doing a patent infringement case for one of my largest, you know, longest um, clients. You know, we've represented her since 2002. Um, so yeah, we've we've had a good relationship, and it's been a pleasure working with you and the rest of your team. So I want to thank you, thank you for joining us, and um, so definitely and um, no. Keep us thank in, you for keep saying us, that, Bennett. I, it's an honor to work with you, too, and uh, I've enjoyed working with you, too, and uh, thank you again for having me on the show. It's always fun to come and talk to you about this. And, and Keenan, let us know if you have something else, because um, these, these cases are interesting, and we want to get it to our community as fast as we can. So thanks again, Lior. Um, next week, we're going to be having Snow White Bowie, and um, she's an interesting woman. I've met her several times and she actually has a website called Lessons for Life and that asks people to answer the question, three things I wish I knew when I was younger. 
Um, frankly, I'd just rather be younger rather than do that. But um, <laughs> she does <laughs> she does get a lot of insight. Um, and she just recently did a tour of America where she drove around the country talking to people about these things. And so she's back. She's working on a book about her experiences. But she's going to come here um, first to um, talk about you know, what it was like as she's gathered her thoughts. And so we're definitely happy to welcome her next week. But we also want to wish her a happy birthday today, as that is her birthday. So um, it'll be, should be an interesting show. She's a very interesting woman. I'm sure you, the audience will, will enjoy her. Um, and her website, just if you want to take a preview, is lessonsforlife.me. And um, this is Bennett Kelly. We're with the Internet Law Center in Santa Monica. And as Lior was kind enough to mention, you know, we've, we've worked together well and uh, we handle a lot of similar cases. And uh, so check us out at internetlawcenter.net. Um, and uh, also we have a blog, so, um, Cyber Report, um, at ilccyberreport.wordpress.com. Check that out as well. Um, so it's been an interesting week, no doubt. We've had a president's final State of the Union address. David Bowie and um, and then Sean Penn breaking the El Chapo story. I got to say, I was a little disappointed about Penn doing that. You know, after hearing um, you know, on this show just a few weeks ago when we talked about the violence going on in Mexico, I think you know glorifying El Chapo is not necessarily the most appropriate thing at this point in time. I think you know, especially when the start of the new year with a a new mayor being killed on her first day in office. Um, because she promised to cut back on corruption and the whole ties um, to you know the, the the link between the government and the the narco cartels and uh, so shame on you, Sean, for that. But we'll be back next week here. Um, be sure to um, check us out again at cyberlawradio.wordpress. If you have any comments or feedback, um, check, get, let us know. We're on Twitter at cyberlawradio. Um, but until then, we'll be back next week for another edition of Cyberlaw and Biz Report. I want to thank our producer, Brasco, for all his help. And um, hope you'll join us next week. Have a great week. This is Bennett Kelly saying be safe and, um, and congratulations to the Los Angeles Rams. See you next season. Bye-bye. presentation of webmasterradio.fm the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network we welcome you to sample past episodes of this program as well as our complete library of programs on demand or on the air via our 24 7 live audio stream at www.webmasterradio.fm The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com.